0: Listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, please check out our website at atst.timothystores.org or come visit us Sunday night at 6:15 at the St. Mark's Chapel, right here on Yukon's campus. And Father, we do proclaim that you are greater do greater things father we ask for so little and you offer us so much so tonight father we come with expectant hearts tonight we are going to bring our needs and lay them at your feet and ask you to do more than we could ever ask or imagine because we believe you are greater and you can do greater things and all god's people said amen amen you guys can grab a seat and thank you maggie So before we dive into... Uh, our scripture for tonight, we just want to give the opportunity for God to have the first word. So we'll listen to the scripture read aloud, and I invite you to just listen to the voice of God speaking to you directly. Pay attention to what he's highlighting, what he's drawing your attention to in the scripture. See what he wants to say to you uniquely and specifically, because I believe that God wants to start a conversation with us tonight, Um, and he he has something he wants to say to you. So let's open up this time for God to speak. And just as we prepare to hear God's word, I invite you to just kind of shake off the stress. of the week i know it's been a long week it is cold it is february Um, so we come in with a lot of things on our shoulders so i invite you to close your eyes just take a deep breath in breathing in the goodness of god and a long slow breath out just letting go of whatever you carried in tonight and a deep breath in just allowing his goodness to fill your lungs and a long slow breath out just committing to be here now for whatever the Lord has for you. So Father, we are here, we are listening, we are ready. We are coming to you with open hands, with open hearts and with open minds. John 2 verses one through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in, at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and His disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So Father, in the silence, we invite you to show us a word or a phrase or a feeling that you want to highlight to us tonight. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's a lot going on in this passage. And like Maggie said, it can feel familiar. It's a popular story. But I think there's so much going on here and so much that God wants to say to us uniquely, but also corporately. So I would say whatever the Lord highlighted for you, pray into that. Keep seeing what what he wants to talk to you about, what he wants to say about the best, what he wants to say about showing his glory, what he wants to say to you about transformation. Because I think that's the start of a conversation that he wants to continue. But we're going to look at kind of the big picture of what is this passage saying to all of us. So what do we what are we supposed to take away from the water turning into wine? That we should, can just like, whenever we get thirsty, we can just turn a couple of jugs of water into a giant box of wine. Um, I don't think that's the takeaway from this passage. So like we talked about last uh, two weeks ago, before the Super Bowl, um, This whole series is looking at the signs that John lays out in his gospel. So John's gospel famously lays out seven signs that are all supposed to point the reader to who Jesus is, to this deeper meaning of who Jesus is, so they could know Jesus on a deep and significant level. And part of our mission here as a church community is to see more people more like Jesus. So that's our heart, that's our desire, that's where we're going as a community. Um, in order to see more people more like Jesus, we kind of have to understand who Jesus actually is. We have to understand who it is that we're modeling ourselves after, who it is we're aiming to be like. And that's why I think studying these seven signs in John is so significant. Because for many of us, we we would identify as Christians, or we we know people who are Christians, but we want to know what does it mean to be like Christ. And John's going to show us this is who Christ is, um, so that we can be like him. So in this first... Mighty work, this first mighty work in John two. The first thing we learn about Jesus in John's gospel is that he is immensely generous. He is an abundant provider, um, and Vince said it this way: he is the life of the party. <laughs> so there is. This is not a, a tight-fisted Jesus who you have to drag prayers from, you have to drag requests from. He is open-handed. He is generous. He is an abundant giver. Um, Because without Jesus' intervention in this wedding, it would be a disaster. I don't think we have a concept of it today, but in the first century, Jewish weddings were enormous parties. They could last up to seven days, and the expectation was the wine would flow for seven days, that that would not stop, Um, and that anybody could come. So today, when you have a wedding, you have a very tight guest list. If someone accidentally brings someone extra, you're kind of irritated with them. But in those days... Your your friends would bring their friends, would bring their friends' friends, would bring their friends' friends' pets. Like, it was just a huge party for seven days. And the expectation was that the groom's family would provide everything. All the food, all the alcohol, would make sure everyone had a place to stay. And if you didn't, it was a mark of shame. It was a huge mark of shame on your lack of hospitality. And hospitality was a key virtue in Ancient Israel and kind of the ancient Near East, that to be hospitable was the primary, primary uh, attribute, primary virtue that you could express. So this family whole, this wedding is going to, about to be ruined. This family is about to be humiliated. Um, and if Jesus had let the wine run out, this would have been a mark of shame for the family for months, years, generations to come. It would be the story that the village told about the family. Don't go to their weddings. But, like, Jesus is the life of the party. He turns, he transforms the situation. Just what Maggie was talking about. There's transformation here. There's a transformation from shame to joy. From not enough to best. From lack to abundance. From the party's over, the party's just getting started. They could go another seven days on the wine that Jesus gave them. So in John's Gospel, we encounter Jesus. This first sign is supposed to show us that Jesus is an abundant provider. He is a generous giver. He doesn't withhold from His people when they ask. And I think sometimes we don't think of Jesus this way. We don't think of Jesus as an open-handed giver. For some of us, maybe you've had that experience where you're down to your last dollar, you're down to your last drop, you're down to your last hope, and Jesus has come through. Jesus has been a generous giver, an abundant provider. But I think some of us also struggle with like a scarcity mindset, that there's just not quite enough, that there's not quite enough for us, that there's not quite enough money, enough time, enough provision, and we lay awake in bed at night wondering, how are we going to do this, how are we going to make it, Can we get through this? Will he provide? Hopefully, but we're not sure. And I think there's really a scarcity mindset there that there's just not enough for everyone. There's not enough to go around. But this passage is supposed to show us in blinding light, Jesus is not a scarcity Messiah. There's not just enough to go around. When the wedding runs out of wine, he doesn't just give enough like cheap box wine so everyone can have another half a glass. He has 180 gallons of wine. That's half of a hot tub of wine that he gives to these people. And the best wine. Even kind of the caterer, the master of the banquet, goes over to the groom's family and is like, where'd you get this stuff? This stuff is excellent. So Jesus isn't withholding. He's not, there's not not enough for everyone. There is more than enough. And Anna, like you pointed out, it is the best. It is the best that he's offering. And like John wants, John wants us to know that the Jesus of the gospel is the Jesus of today. So if Jesus could be that generous then, he can be that that generous today. He can be our abundant provider. He can be our generous giver. He can be the life of our party. But we need to invite him to do so. So I want you to just take a minute. We're just going to pause here for a second and think about what is a need that we have. It can be anything, any area of your life, any um a financial need um uh like an emotional need a relational need uh like a just a a need for hope for the future just think about it for a second and you can write it down if you'd like to in the bulletin just think about kind of going through where you are right now in this space in this time what is the need that you have big small major minor What is the need that you have right now, right here and right now? Sometimes it's hard to identify just one thing that we need, but I think it's a good practice to kind of review where you are, how you're feeling, and identify, this is the thing that I need. Whatever it is, whatever it might be, this is the thing that I need right now, Um, and not to be ashamed of that. And so once you have your need in mind, we're going to come back to this passage. Because what's very, what's really interesting to me in this passage is that Jesus is an abundant provider. He's a generous giver. There's nothing he withholds from these, this community, these people. But he only does so because Mary asks. He only gives because Mary comes to him and says, there's no more wine. And you might think, we know Jesus is all-knowing, is all-powerful, could have just known ahead of time, oh, this party's running out of wine. I'm just going to connect them with a little bit more. Nobody has to know. I don't want this to be a big deal. But he doesn't. That's not how this miracle works. Mary asks, she comes to him boldly, she comes to him expectantly, and she says, they have no more wine. Which to us seems more like a statement than a request. But there's an implicit request there. Like if I were to say to Vince we have no more milk. I'm not just letting him know an interesting fact about our refrigerator. I'm letting him know, we need more milk, or Charlotte's going to freak out, so go to the grocery store, please. And that's what's going on here, this kind of familial communication. Mary is describing a request, knowing that Jesus will meet him, because she knows Jesus. And his response is interesting. It's always a little bit, There's like a little bit of a hiccup in this passage. It feels like, because he says, what is that to me? Why are you asking me to do this? And it's, just, it's at first it can be a little bit confusing initially. Like, why isn't why? he just like, of course, mother. Whatever you ask, I will give to you. My beloved darling mother. Um, but he does. He resists initially. And he, he pauses. He says, he kind of, his response is a little bit brusque, to, to be generous. And largely, and most people will agree, it's because it's not time for him to do miracles yet. The Lord, God, God the Father has sent him on a mission to do particular and significant work in the world. And it's not time for him to get up there and do some big, significant miracles that will draw all the attention to him, that will start his ministry as the Messiah. That moment hasn't come yet for him to do that. So he's trying to honor the request of his mother by res- and also respecting the will of his father. So he says, why, why are you dragging me into this? My time has not yet come. But because he's Jesus, because he's the abundant provider, because he's the generous giver, he fulfills her request. So he finds a way to respect the will of the father and honor the request of his mother and he does a quiet miracle, a small miracle, a miracle that isn't big and showy and points all the signs to him and says, look, I'm the Messiah. I can do anything that you ask. But he honors the request of his mother and she knows he will. This is what I think is so great about Mary in this passage. She knows Jesus. She knows her son. She knows her boy. And when she comes to him with a request, even though he responds, um, he responds with some resistance. She doesn't even ask him again. She just goes over to the servants and says, just do whatever he tells you to do. Like, he's going he's gonna to do what I've asked. I know my boy. I know the heart of my son. I know him as the Messiah. And I know that he will not deny a request. And so she does. She, uh, and he does. He answers. He answers her request. Even though he initially resists, he answers. And that is often my experience with Jesus. Is that what sometimes feels like resistance is just saying, this is not the right time. This is not the right moment. This is not going to go in the way that you might have expected. But I will answer your request. In my lifetime, I've never known Jesus to fail to answer one of my requests. It might look different, and it might be in a different timing than would have been my preference, than was my prayer. But I've never known him to deny one of my requests. So I want you to just pause for a moment. We've identified a need. Make it a request. Take a minute and ask Jesus for something specific. Something, Whatever your need is, ask him to do something. Because sometimes we don't get because we don't ask. So take a moment. You can write it down. You can do it mentally. But ask Jesus to do something on your behalf. whatever you're asking Jesus to do, I would say keep asking. If you've asked before and you're still waiting, keep asking. If if you've been afraid to ask, don't hesitate. Mary asked for wine for a wedding. Whatever it is that you are asking for is not petty, is not unimportant, is not insignificant. So don't hesitate to ask and keep asking. So we see Jesus is a a generous abundant provider and giver and we have to ask for what it is that we want but asking is not enough so if mary had asked and the servants hadn't obeyed the miracle wouldn't have happened so mary asks and importantly necessarily the servants obeyed because what jesus says is weird like, if you were these servants, you're probably expecting him to say, all right, go to my personal stash, you can take some of my barrels of wine, or fine, here's a little bit of money, run down to the old general store and get some more wine. But that's not what he says. He says, take those, those barrels over there, those religious barrels used for purification ser- services, so not barrels that people use for drinking wine out of. These are like holy, sacred barrels fill him up with water and then take him to the wedding and these servants are probably thinking why would i do that that is a stupid idea i am go- i'm going to bring these bottles of water to a wedding and tell people their wine and just hope they're drunk enough not to notice like this is a bad plan jesus but they do it anyway And what's fast, what really stood out to me in that passage is the line that says, the master of the ceremonies didn't know, the master of the feast didn't know, but the servants knew. So they do what seems to me, to them irrational, illogical, nonsensical. But they do it because Jesus told them to do it. And Mary said, do whatever he tells you to do. And they listen. They obey. They do the non-rational, illogical thing that seems like it's going to get them into significant trouble with the master of the ceremony. But they bring these giant cisterns of water, and suddenly it is the best of wine. It is the finest wine, so much that they comment upon it. They do exactly what Jesus tells them to do, and Jesus turns it into a miracle. And probably some of you have had this experience. Sometimes in that process of providing, Jesus is going to ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. That wouldn't be your first logical, rational next step. He's going to ask you to leave a job before you have another one. He's going to ask you to say yes to an opportunity that you think, I am not qualified for this. Or he's going to ask you to say no to a plan or to a person or to a dream that you thought were perfect for you. But if you want to experience this abundance of divine provision, This passage says you have to ask and you have to obey. You have to do the thing he's asking even when it doesn't make sense. And what's interesting to me is that, particularly in this passage, when we don't obey, it's not just us who miss out on our provision. If the servants had not obeyed in this passage, it doesn't really affect them, but it ruins the life of the groom. It ruins his wedding. It ruins his reputation. It ruins his standing in the community. So the servants' disobedience wouldn't just affect them, but it would affect all. It would affect their their employers, it would affect their community, it would affect other people as well. So sometimes we ask, like, "Well, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, but nothing happened. And like, I did the things you told me to do, Jesus, but nothing happened. Or I see these people over there who are in hurt and are needing and are in want, and why don't you answer my prayers for them? Why don't you do anything for these people? And I would I would suggest that it's, it's that obedience part. Is that maybe other people have not been obedient with the directions that the Lord has given them. That he has called people to meet the needs of all of his children. And they have not been obedient. They have not done the work that the Lord has given them to do. So that's why our responsibility is to be obedient. Not just for ourselves, but for the other people who we don't see that are affected by our actions and our choices. So when the Lord says, do this. Don't You do it for your own sake, you do it for your own provision, you do it for your own relationship with Jesus, but you also do it so that you can be provision to other people. Your provision is not for yourself alone. The provision of the servant, the obedience of the servants, was not for themselves alone. So Jesus is the abundant provider, he is the generous giver, and he invites us to participate. He invites us to participate in the provision and the giving and the blessing. We ask, we obey, and then as the passage closes, that final line, it it says, and the disciples believed in him. So we ask, we obey, and we believe. Mary and the servants and the disciples are the only one who knows what's happened here. Jesus, this is a quiet, private, personal, mighty work, miraculous deed, miracle. They see him provide and they believe he is the provider. No one else knows. No no one at that, hundreds of people at the feast knows. The groom doesn't know. The bride doesn't know. The master of ceremonies doesn't know. But they don't need to know. It's not imp- not important. Who needs to know are the people who are giving up their life to follow Jesus. And that is the disciples. Just before this chapter, Jesus called five disciples. Philip, Nathaniel, Peter, and, and an unnamed, I can't remember the other two. One is unnamed. He called them to follow him. And this is the first thing they see him do. This is the first thing they see him do after they've given up everything. They've left everything behind to follow him. They see him do this miracle. This small seemingly minor miracle and they believe it turns them to belief and and I think the same opportunity is afforded to us when we ask and we obey and we receive the opportunity is on us to believe and I would imagine that all of us have experienced God's provision in different ways at different points in our life and then we've gone on to worry if we would receive it again. So the next time a situation arose up, the next time we found ourselves in difficult circumstances, the next time we didn't know what to do, we forgot this last part. We forgot to believe. And I think this is the hardest part. This is the hardest part for me. I have no trouble asking. I'll ask Jesus all day long for the things that I want, and I'll ask everyone I know to ask along with me. But the believing part is hard. The believing part when you're waiting... The believing part when you're hoping. The believing part when you're on to the next challenge and you're not sure, is Jesus still here with me? The believing is the hard part, but the believing is what makes you a disciple. The believing is what makes you able to follow Jesus wherever he goes. So I would say ask, obey, and then believe. Believe that he will not abandon or forsake you. Believe that he is the abundant giver the generous provider and i hope that as you look back upon your life you will see again and again and again here's where jesus met me here is where he met me here is where he met me and i can believe and i can tell you to believe likewise so i would encourage you when you see your need answered we've identified a need we've asked um I, f- I forgot to tell you to listen for directions. I skipped that whole part because I got excited. Uh, but I would say when you leave here tonight, spend some time with Jesus. See if he gives you some directions about what to do, about where to go, about how to obey him as he works out your request. That's your homework for tonight is go home, spend some time with Jesus and see wh- what he's asking you to do. And then when he does it, believe share your hope and believe that the Lord is good and he has been good to you and he will continue to be good to you. I believe that for you, but I want you to believe it for yourself. So just take a minute um, as we kind of transition into the rest of the service. And I want you to just thank Jesus in advance. Maybe he hasn't answered your need yet, but just close your eyes and thank him in advance because you believe that he will. Father we just thank you we thank you in advance for what we believe that you will do on our behalf you know the hairs on our heads, you know the dreams in our hearts you know the hurts that we are struggling with so we thank you Father that we have asked that we will obey and that we will believe so in your son's name we pray Amen